The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. What's the biggest source of lost revenue that companies don't even know about? Imagine lost revenue you don't even know about. To answer that question, David Averin. David, welcome to the show. Nice to be my friend. Hey, well, listen, uh, glad to have you. So lost revenue, does that mean that they're taking the revenue in and it's evaporating or what does that mean? No, you know what? It's really about the customer experience. This isn't about number crunching in the ledgers. The reality is that the biggest source of lost revenue for companies, businesses, is the customer, the client, the prospect that they never knew about. They drove by and they didn't stop or they went to the website and they clicked away without buying anything or without leaving their information or they came in and they left without being engaged. And once again, the reality is they have no idea who those people were or how many of them there were. And so I'm sort of on a crusade as I speak and as I write books about helping companies recognize the changing expectations of their customers, of their prospects. And things have changed significantly in the last decade. What has it been like 11 years since the iPhone? How we do business has changed. And unfortunately, too many companies haven't changed. I mean, they're not, they're not setting out to piss off their customers, but they are inadvertently doing it by being difficult to work with. And that's what my, my speaking, my consulting and my new book is about. Do you have anything that backs up that it's, you know, approximately how much is lost in, in all those kinds of opportunities? Because I'm going to bring up something in a second after you answer, but sure. I, I've thought about this before. You know what? It's going to be subjective to an extent. I mean, this isn't a number that you can pull out of anyway because it depends on the nature of the offense itself. If, you know, a company can say how much they appreciate and, you know, we're all about our customers and then they put you on hold for 45 minutes and anger you and frustrate you and it gets worse and worse and escalates. If you're tied to that because it's your phone company or something else, it's harder to leave. But for other things, for, for those of us in business who have a phenomenal amount of competitors, both locally and now, of course, internationally because of the internet, it's so easy to leave you. And so the numbers are going to be different based on the offense. If it's an offense of inconvenience, people might put up with it if they really like your company or your product or your service. But if it's one where it's almost a have to rather than a get to, and the offense is so profound that you're angered by it, then you're gone. 
most companies aren't so unique, so special with such unusual products that people are so loyal that they'll tolerate a lot of bad treatment. Most are not like that, right? Very few. As our mutual friend and colleague, Eric Chester says, you know, for most companies, you may be good at what you do, but you haven't created the cure for cancer that tastes like chocolate. Uh, (laughs) Then then it's pretty easy to uh, recruit and retain customers. But most of us are even, listen, even if you're really good at what you do, if you're honest with yourself, you are a commodity because there's others who are also very, very good at that. So whether you make yourself really hard to get a hold of or you say no too often and fall back on policy. I mean, there, there's so many offenses that companies do, not intentionally, nobody's trying to, to intentionally frustrate their customers, but in an effort to be efficient and to be predictable in our model, right? We set up policies. It's kind of interesting. I was talking to a colleague the other day and Realizing that most in business, you know, we'll hire staff, we'll hire employees, and we go through a pretty exhaustive search, right? We will interview them, we'll look at their background, we'll ask them challenging questions to, uh, to check their judgment. And then as soon as we hire them, we neuter them. Now just do it this way. Right. (laughs) Based on their, their ability to make decisions, but then we don't let them make decisions because God forbid they make a poor decision. So what happens is so often, no matter what the scenario is, it's sorry, no. Well, can I get a late checkout? No, um, sorry, we're not doing that. Or, hey, I like the uh, the chicken seizure, but can I substitute shrimp? Sorry, we don't do substitutions. Right. Why? You know why they don't do substitutions, Joel? Because they don't want to. Because the cook doesn't want to. I don't care what the cook wants. I mean, what's the alternative? Not giving her what she wants, and then she never comes back and goes online and rants about it. Yeah, we're so quick to say no when a simple accommodation engenders this wonderful sense of loyalty. Does does this apply to the Ritz Carlton or does it apply to Carl's Jr.? I mean, I mean, what level are we talking? Are we talking about the highest of the high or the, or the lower end companies? Or does it apply to everybody? The reality is it will and does apply to everyone. There's just some companies who are just better at recognizing that. You know, especially for those like a Ritz-Carlton, it's easy to to highlight some of the the cream of the crop, right? But they so get it because they understand they're at a premium price point. And not only do their people expect a higher level of service and accommodation, I mean, like they don't say no, they don't even say yes. They say it would be my pleasure. It's just just a fait accompli, done deal. That's it. Right. Right. And so it, part of it is, is the level of client that they have, that they have a higher demand for, and they get that. But the other one they realize is that at their price point, they better have a differentiator. But the reality is anybody can do this. But it, it's sort of the franchise model. And I like that you brought up like Carl's Jr. The franchise model is based on predictability, predictability of behavior, predictability of revenue that comes from this is the model. People buy into a franchise because it's a proven model, Right. The problem with that is it eliminates the possibility of, of flexibility. And, well, because it's, it's a machine. Exactly right. And in certain cases, it works, right? We can't accommodate everything. Something that interrupts our supply chain or, you know, sorry, we can't do overnight for, you know, break this up into 27 different boxes and get it to you by five o'clock this afternoon. But some simple accommodations, because here's what's interesting in the marketplace. Historically, companies have always been compared to the best of the best in their category. You kind of have to be better than the midline and ideally among the highest in your category. For the first time ever, we're being compared against companies that have nothing to do with what we do, right? I mean, Uber can tell us exactly where our driver is and what they look like and what their rating is. So we feel safe. Why can't you? 
right? Amazon can do, I mean, ultimately it's going to be like 30 minute delivery, right? Why can't you? Well, the answer is that uh, if you can't, you're being disrupted and you're going to be bounced right out of business is what's going to happen. So exactly uh, right. You know, the reason that Uber has been successful in disrupting taxis is because it's better. I mean, you know, knowing where the driver is, knowing how much the fee is, no credit card surcharge. I mean, all those things built in is just better, right? Right. Absolutely. But, but that's exactly what it is because our expectations have changed. There are people behind the scenes. They aren't nefarious sources, but they're trying to change. So whoever's listening right now, there are people in a room trying to figure out how to do what you are doing differently or better, faster or more conveniently. And some will be successful and some won't. I mean, how complacent do we sometimes get? Cause like, this is the way it's done. I guarantee you the taxi drivers around the world. And I travel around the world, 24 countries in the last few years, they didn't anticipate that every car around them is now a taxi. Right. And, and you, you've seen those things online. This is the biggest transportation company in the world owns no vehicles and the biggest yep. lodging yep. company in the world owns no rooms. Right. All of that is because somebody found a different way of doing it. So much of what I talk about is how to future proof your business through a superior customer experience. It's not just being providing wow moments. It's not about that. It's about anticipating how do your customers and prospects how will they want to do and expect to do business with you next year, two years from now? Well, you better start now in putting that structure in place, right? Listen, Joe, you and I both speak, right? And, and I've been doing this for 20 years. And what's changed even in our business is if I'm doing a really large conference, for example, invariably, there's a futurist, a future speaker who's on stage. What they used to say is, listen, your grandchildren will grow up in a world where blank or your children are going to grow up. They don't say that anymore. Now they say, by this time next year, blank and blank is going to happen. Oh my. By this time, two years. And so, so much has changed and it's changing quickly. Now, I'm not the first to say about the rate of change, but as it pertains to how your customers engage with you at every point of contact, we have to take a step back and say, what do people expect? What do they want to do? Who's doing it different or better or faster? And how are people going to want to do business with you and your industry one year from now? And can you take time away and sit with your team and go through every kind of crazy scenario and say, what's doable? What's Buck Rogers showing my age, right? And what is, and what's realistic? And are we putting task forces and, and work groups and others in place now so that we aren't scrambling to catch up we're being so disrupted that we're literally finding ourselves on the verge of extinction. You know, one of the, one of the big issues with the internet and with some of the new modern things that are happening is the whole concept of disintermediation. So taking out middlemen. So right. there are a lot of companies who sell things to people, but they don't actually sell them directly. They go through brokers, distributors, wholesalers, they go through different channels. In your experience of customer engagement and the kind of issues that you're talking about, how important is it for them to interface with the customer directly or can they be successful going through intermediaries? You know, what's, what's interesting is it can be anything as long as it's aligned with what is easiest and preferable for the customer. I'll give you an example for, as I've done, and I've done a lot of executive coaching as well. I used to be a Vistage chair. And so I, I ran Vistage groups and I've spoken to hundreds of them, of CEO roundtable groups. And it, in almost every one of them, there's somebody in banking or financial services. And what they used to say is their competitive advantage 
was this, right? The eye to eye, the relationship that we know our customers by name. Well, what happens when your primary bank branch becomes your cell phone? Then all of a sudden your competitive advantage evaporates because people don't prefer to do it face-to-face. They like the convenience. I love it. You and I travel, right? We love the idea. If we get a check, we can take a picture of it and deposit it without having to go find a bank branch, especially if we're driving around in Ubers. So it can be through an intermediary if that makes it more convenient and faster and more preferable to your customers. So the good news is almost any model can work as long as the companies are looking at it from the perspective of their customer. And when it comes to that customer experience, once again, don't confuse or conflate it with customer service. It's another branch on the tree, but it's really how do your customers experience doing business with you? So when you get an example like the cell phone itself, and that's the experience, that's the interaction, they're getting so granular in their thought about how to create some competitive advantage because everybody's got the app that now they're even looking at these work groups. Okay, how do we create this so somebody can either log in with their face or if they type in their username incorrectly or their password, do they have to go back to the beginning and retype in everything or can they just type in their password again? I mean, that kind of stuff would sound ridiculous to people a few years ago, but that's how impatient we get, right? We sit in front of the microwave going, come on, come on, I haven't got a minute. And so- the really smart people and some of the best organizations are really looking at more than just the service with a smile and looking at every point online, in person, over the phone, during a transaction, post-transaction and saying, can it be expedited or facilitated or the wheels greased in some way? And to me, it's fascinating. And what's really fun is to think what's going to happen in two years Because it's not at the normal J curve that if this is going this way, it's going to keep, it may be disrupted at any point and completely change how we do it. And so it's important for companies to stay on top of it. You know, part of it has to do with how well the companies understand the underlying technologies and the issues. And, And I would say that a lot of companies have a rather nominal understanding. In other words, you're talking about the cell phone. Okay, it's okay to use a cell phone to connect with the customer, but you have to understand the medium. And it just feels to me like a lot of companies, they think that the medium is the deal instead of being the conduit to the deal. Right. And I think beyond that, Joel, I think companies are being dismissive of others. They're seeing it as a wholesale shift instead of trends. And here's what I mean. They'll look at saying, they'll throw blanket statements like millennials don't talk on the phone. So they'll completely ignore that aspect of the experience as an option. And I think probably more than anything else as consumers, and we're all consumers, even if we're in business, our primary role is as a consumer, is we want choices. I rail, I'm in front of audiences and my presentations are very humorous. They're they're very irreverent, but I use it strategically to temper a pretty tough message about what it takes to compete. And one of the things I talk about is saying that probably the quote employee that drives away more business in everybody's business is the contact form. It is the point of your business more the contact form drives away more customers than your worst employee because we don't want to fill out the contact form. It is the answering machine of the internet, right? But some SEO person or some web developer said, Hey, I got a way to make your phone stop ringing. We'll just directly to a contact form. They'll fill it out. You'll get lots of extra information, right? You can pre-qualify and you can send the right department. Don't put a phone number right? We've all been frustrated. (laughs) When you go to a website, you're trying to find a phone number to talk to a freaking person and you can't, but they have a contact form. And the reality is 
We don't want to fill out the contact form. Well, not only that, but you know, there's so many abusive people that we don't trust. Even the legitimate ones, we don't trust them because there's so much illegitimate stuff. Like, okay, if I give you my email address, it says at the bottom, we won't give it to anybody, but, but that's probably not. Right. They're gonna, and, and if they don't give it voluntarily, it's going to be stolen by criminals. So my information is absolutely, the second I write it down, everybody's going to have it. And right. We just don't trust the process. I mean, I think the saddest part of all is we've lost a lot of trust. We have because we've just, and once again, I think it's an inadvertent abuse. Nobody's setting out just in the this striving for efficiency and predictability. The odd man out is your customer, which is insane to me. And so I talk about some of these things on stage and I work with organizations and consult. I just got back from Abu Dhabi working with a big agricultural grocery food company. And just, I mean, no matter where I am in the world, I get this look of like, Oh yeah, I didn't think about it that way, right? They get rewarded because they say, look at this, you know, our people are so efficient because our phone's not ringing. Your phone's not ringing because you're not letting your customers talk to you. You know, I, I talked to somebody and they, and I was trying really hard to get a phone number on their website. And I told him afterwards, I said, I was going crazy trying to get a hold of you. And he says, I, I said, your phone number. He says, oh no, we have a contact form. I said, I know that, but why didn't you put a phone number? And honest to God, his response was, well, if we put a phone number, people are going to call. And I'm like, who's going to call your customers? He goes, oh God, they'll call all day. I'm like, is this not telling you something? Um, But we restrict access. So in in my new book, which is called Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back, I detail 24 ways that companies, businesses, small businesses, and otherwise are inadvertently driving people away, being hard to get a hold of. And I mean, there's so many different things that, that we just don't think about, or it sounds like good business. I love the title of this book, Why Customers Leave. Is it about why customers leave or why prospects don't become customers? It's actually both. And so the initial assertion when we began this conversation about the greatest source of lost revenue is the customer you didn't know about. That I stand by. But the reduction in revenue, the loss of loyalty is the other side of it. So it's the prospect who was just frustrated because they didn't get what they wanted right away. Just have a question to answer and you can't reach somebody, but it's also the, the people who've been doing business with you that you sort of take granted. I tell a story at the beginning of one of the chapters that I remember as, as a young boy, I was probably seven years old and I went to the bank with my dad and you'll remember this cause you and I are older and there was this display with a toaster on it. And I remember asking my dad, I said, what's the toaster for? He says, those are for people who open new accounts. Remember, they, they give premiums, toasters, like who doesn't have a yeah. toaster today? Blues, the blue, blue yeah. stamps, green stamps. They have some right, exactly, stamps. green stamps. And so my dad says, the toaster's for people who are new customers. And I asked him, I said, well, what do we get? And he says, <laughs> nothing, right? And, and that's another way that companies drive people away. They, they spend so much time on the acquisition part and offering incentives and premiums for new customers. And then we forget about the old ones. It doesn't mean that we're not, here's the other thing. I don't want anybody to be dismissive and to think to themselves, well, we don't do that. If you are merely providing a transaction, you are by definition commodity. And if you're great, even if your products are great, because the reality is for the first time in history, everybody's good. I mean, if you weren't, you would be outed very quickly. Yelp, TripAdvisor, Rotten Tomatoes, Glassdoor, right? The internet outs underperformers. So from a marketing perspective, and I've taught marketing for, for decades, is we talk about our differentiators, our quality, our commitment, our caring, our trust, our people, right? I still see CEOs getting in front of companies all the time saying, listen, folks, at the end of the day, it's about 
quality. And I could not disagree more. At the beginning of the day, it's about quality. That's the entry fee. But at the end of the day, table at the end of the day, it's about competitive advantage. And so I talk about customer experience as a bankable, tangible, competitive advantage. You know, one of the things that I just love this topic of lost revenue that, that you talk about, because one of the things that I've thought about for a long time, you know, I come from the CPA business years ago as a youngster, I started in the CPA world and, you know, accountants keep track, money comes in, money, this happens and this happens and this happens. But one thing I've always thought, because I fall on the sales side, the one thing that really should be tracked that is not tracked is what opportunities did we not close? Because right. those are the things that, you know, that's what we should be tracking is that we had an opportunity to do a billion and we closed a hundred million. So 900 million got lost to some of the, right. I mean, that to me, that's always been an issue. Now I understand, of course, gap, you know, that's not part of our formula and we always, we only evaluate the part of the formula that's real. The second part, right. you know, when you talk about lost customers, you know, those, so one is prospects to become customers, but what you were talking about uh, subsequent to that was, is really, it's about churn. I mean, salespeople, as hard as they work, the company doesn't get any bigger because there's churn. So if they could could eliminate some of those losses, then the sales department would be more productive, right? You know, we've known the the figures for a long time about how it's much easier to retain a customer than to earn a new one, right? There are new metrics that are actually getting better at this. There's metrics you can do right now algorithms based on like sh- internet shopping carts, how many people abandon their shopping cart. Companies have visibility into that now. Those yeah. are people who actually started through the process and they left for some reason. Now, how do we quantify what that is? Qualify and quantify. Was it because of the price? Was it because there was something difficult in the process? Was it something that they sobered up and realized they started a transaction at two in the morning when they came home drunk? We, we never know, right? But being able to quantify that and understand, and some of it you can't, because especially the ones you didn't know about. So part of what we can control, when you look at leading and lagging indicators, one of the, one of the leading indicators are those things that are both um, controllable and predictive, right? The things that we can control is what we do, right? We can control our behavior. We can control how much we step back and look at every point of contact and ask ourselves, could it be done different or better or faster? Or who's really good at this right now? right? Who's doing this well and talk to our customers. But then again, here's the downside of that. One of the other chapters is about the danger of over-surveying, right? We get so concerned about making sure that people don't leave unhappy that we ask them to fill out a survey. The problem is you may have a great experience and then they send you a survey and you don't fill it out. Then they send you another one and then they send you a reminder and please fill it. Now you're pissed off. You did have a good experience, but now you don't have a good experience because they've asked you so many times how your experience was. You know, I had uh, just yesterday, uh, I abandoned the shopping cart just yesterday. I mean, I don't do that that often, but it was a new company I'd never done business with before. And as I got through the process, there came a point where something happened that I found to be rather egregious. They were asking for some information or they were, they were telling me some policy they had. I think a lot of uh, success and failure of companies comes from business rules and business rules are the way that you say, hey, this is how we're going to work with people. And this is what we're going to do. And this is how we make our money and so forth. And, you know, sometimes the business rules are so egregious that they're just unfair. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was going through this process and I was looking at buying this thing. And then they wanted like all this extra information that I didn't think was necessary, or they wanted something from me that I didn't think was reasonable for this kind of transaction. 
And I just, you know what, forget I'm not doing it. And I just close the uh, browser. I mean, right. It's pretty simple to do, you know. <laughs> but I think your attitude is indicative of how most people feel. The problem is they're making these decisions intentionally, but they're also making them in a vacuum. They're like, hey, if we give them this long form, look how much information we'll have. Well, of course, in a dynamic economic model, it isn't necessarily cause and effect. Just because we put these questions doesn't mean people are going to answer the question. Let me give you a scenario that was so infuriating for me, but is really indicative of this as well. So my wife and I were traveling. We live just south of Denver. We've been talking about buying some land up in the mountains that ultimately we would literally create a compound but I would build a house, my brothers would build their houses, and our grandkids could grow up together. It's kind of fun to think about it. Yeah, yeah. We were heading around on a Saturday. We drove up in the mountains. We found some possibilities. And we came back and we said, let's look at some uh, at what a good cabin, maybe something we can expand later. So we go online, and we found this great company online. They even fly people out. They build the cabin and everything else. And we found a model we really liked. And it said, click here for pricing. So when I click it, do you think I got pricing? Of course not. I got a contact form because in their mind, we want to pre-qualify them. If we can get all this information, you know, we don't want to scare them away with price. We can get all this information. We can tailor a proposal. We can direct them some other direction. The problem is they told me to click for a price and they didn't give me a price. And so they got nothing from me. I mean, there's literally nothing because maybe I overreacted, but it's okay because I teach this. Yeah. That they were, I wasn't going to fill out the form. I'll just use somebody else. They lost several hundred thousand dollars potential sale. How many of those do you think they lose a year? Millions uh, you're, you're, of dollars. You're not the only one, put it like that. Absolutely. And the thing is, this company was, their designs were awesome. And, but they lied. And it was a bait and switch. And you know what? I'm one of those people that I don't want to feel like I got taken advantage of. So they got nothing from me. And how often do we do that? Like I, I speak to a lot well, of so that, real estate. That's, that's a good example of business rules. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, their their intention probably is not bad. Exactly and, right. Inadvertent. Maybe, I keep saying it. You know, maybe uh, maybe it's just their language was just incorrect. Maybe it was a business rule. Maybe it was just some language. I mean, did you try to contact them and tell them what went wrong or are yeah, you, I, you just I, moved on, right? I just moved on. But yeah. I'll give you another example. So last week I spoke for Remax in Las Vegas, world's largest real estate company. And I'm talking to this massive audience. And I said, when we drive around, my wife and I like to drive around, we see a great house and there's a little loose side box on a pole, on a post right outside. You open it up and it's all the pictures of the house. But is there a price? No, you have to call for the price. And I tell them, I say, guess what? I don't call. And most people don't. They're kind of looking at me. I said, but I understand why you did it that way, because you want to get them on the phone. If you can get them on the phone, it may not be the right house, but you can direct them to another house. Maybe you can get the listing. Maybe you can get be their buyer's rep. But the reality is what people want is the price. But they can get the price in 30 seconds on Zillow or anywhere else. I mean, so right. they get the price. So withholding the information nowadays is really not smart. It isn't, but a lot of people do it. And understand, and I'll say this over and over again, Joel, it's inadvertent. The problem is, and one of my chapters says in the book, don't try and make us do business the way you want to do business. Let us do business with you the way we want to do business. Because there is a critical mass of prospects who don't want to play that game. And in the minds of the company, it's not a game. It's just how we want to do business. But we don't want to do business your way. We want to do business our ways. Now, now sometimes it, it works, right? The process flow. You go into Chipotle, you place your order, you customize the order, you pay for it, and you're done. That makes sense. But when you're trying to guide your customers down a path because it's better for you, know that we can jump off that path at any time. And so 
this is what I do. And I have a great time doing it. And I speak to audiences and work with organizations to help them recognize those blind spots and then find a better way. At the, at the end of every chapter, it says why you do it, why we hate it, and a better approach. And so well, it's listen, not just prescriptive, but it's diagnostic. It's, it's really good. And the bottom line is that it's the inside track to a great customer experience. I mean, there are guys that give a good customer experience and then there's the ones that take the inside track and do it the best, smartest, fastest way. And everything that you're talking about really is the inside track. And that's, that's really how our listeners profit from the inside. So thank you very much for sharing. And what we'll do, we'll post all your contact information in the show notes so people can see it and find you and do whatever they want, follow up with you and maybe fill out a contact form or two, whatever, whatever, however they get all of you. And here's the, here's the funny thing. I'll leave this with you real quickly. (laughs) All of my businesses have contact forms, but they also have cell phone numbers and regular phone numbers. If I have, could have a cranial implant to let people access me directly. I would do that. You just got to give them trace. So I appreciate the time. If anybody wants to learn more about me, you can go to, to davidaverin.com. And my new book is Why Customers Leave. And I know you'll put all this stuff, but I'm a marketing guy. So I got to throw that in at the end. There you go. There but, you go. Uh, well, we'll make sure to Thank you. Hey, well, listen, man. Thank you very much. This has been a great episode. And I appreciate you giving us the inside track. All right, friend. Thank you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joe Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Adavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.